Amen. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. Happy Time Change Sunday. A little extra hour sleep gets everybody out, so it's good. It's fun. Thank you all for being here. If I hadn't had a chance to meet yet, my name is David. I'm the teaching pastor. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community this morning. Hey, I'm excited for this sermon, and the reason I'm excited for this sermon this morning is because today is the return of the map. Uh, I, I love using maps to be able to teach, and a couple weeks ago we, we got a new projector so you can actually see the images on the screen, and so I'm going to be able to uh, put a map up, show you where the places that we're looking, help us to appreciate the text from uh, a ge- uh, geograph, whatever, from, uh, from that perspective, and, uh, and so I'm excited about it. Now, when I said a return of the map, some of you got excited because you remember these, and you're like, yes. Others of you are like, this is weird. He's this excited about a map. Um, but I am. I, I like using them because maps remind us that what we're reading about, what we're studying, it, it's a real place, right? Okay, we're, we're not going to Narnia here, okay? We're not going through the wardrobe and meet Mr. Thomas. You know, we're, we're not catching the train on platform nine and three quarters. These are real places with real people facing real decisions, real challenges, real temptations. And, and, and when they make a decision, it has an impact in their life in their family's life, and in the life of all of those that they love. And then, then that decision has repercussions across the entirety of the text. And so being able to have a, a map just, I, I think, helps us appreciate where this takes place. And even once you kind of understand the story, you can almost see the story play out uh, on the map as well. Now, that being said, the, the text we're going to be in this morning is just six verses long. And when we read it, on the first read-through, you might be, there's, there's not that much there, Hederman, and we're about to spend 20 or 30 minutes with this. And, uh, and, and I can kind of agree with that assertion on the initial read-through. But I do think this text, and come back with me on this if I lost you there, I do think this text speaks to the tension that we feel when we realize that our lives are constantly changing. Then we're like, David, I I never forget that. I know that my life is constantly changing, but I'm talking about those seasons of our life where maybe there's just so much change happening and it feels incredibly chaotic and incredibly stressful. Like I remember the summer that April and I got married. I proposed to her in May. We were married in August, so it was just a 10-week engagement, and that alone got some of you stressed just thinking about that. <laughs> but, but not only did we get married in the span of, of 10 weeks, she started her residency, I started in ministry, and we moved into a new house. And so there was all that change happening over a, a short time period. And it was, yes, it was chaotic. It was stressful. Um, looking back on it, it was, there's parts of it that was just a lot of fun. Um, but that's because it was, um, thankfully for us in that moment, it was a change that was positive. And it was one that we asked for. Uh, but you and, know, you and I know that's not always the case, is it? Because a lot of times change happens in a ways that, that we don't ask for it. You didn't ask for your parents to split up, but now your home's changing. You, you didn't ask for the job transfer, but now to keep the job, you're going to have to move. You, you didn't ask for the relationship to end, and, and now your life is changing. And when those types of changes happen, it brings up all the questions, right? And when, when those changes happen, it's almost like, hold on, uh, can we stop the world? I need to get off for a moment. Like, I, I need a little bit of a timeout so I can process what's happening to me. Or, or maybe your thought is, man, I just need to run, and I need to get as much space between me and my situation so I can, again, just kind of process what's happening to me, know what it is that I'm supposed to do next. And so those changes happen, and it brings up all those questions, right? It brings up uh, so many questions of the soul, and then that can lead to to questions of faith. It's, it's, God, these changes are happening to my career, to finances, to relationships, to in all these different ways, and not necessarily in ways that I expected or hoped. So, God, are you changing as well? Are, are, are you changing, or is my relationship with you, how, how, is, how is this being affected? Because if, if you're changing, God, then everything's in flux. And herein lies the hope 
that we have that, with these six verses. And, and it's why I want to spend time uh, in these verses this morning. And so I'm going to give you the bottom line of my sermon. You can write it down. If you want to check out and take a nap, you're more than welcome to do that because this is what you came for. This is the bottom line. It's this. God is unchanging in his character, in his plan, and in his promises. And as a result, that gives us hope and faith and security and rest and trust in the midst of a constantly changing world. The short form, God is unchanging in his character, in his plan, and in his promises. And that gives us hope and confidence in the midst of a changing world. Again, that's the bottom line. I've put my cards on my table. Uh, I, I've showed you where we're headed this morning. And so maybe I've erased all the tension off of why you should listen. But I'm going to ask you to hang with me. And I want you to stick with me because we're, we're going to see that dynamic play out in the life of Isaac. And, and when we look and see how God works in and through the life of Isaac, I think you and I can get insight into perhaps how God wants to work and, and move inside of your life and in the story that he has for you. Because what we see in our text today is that Isaac has a decision to make. Remember, he's the son of Abraham. He is the heir to a promise of God. And, and he has to decide, really, it's, it's one that, that maybe some of you faced before. He has to decide where he and his family are going to live. And on the surface, I mean, that's, that's a big decision by itself. But the situation is not exactly what he thought it would be. Because, you see, he's in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But when he's there, a drought hits. And it's a drought so hard that it's a famine. And so he has to decide, are we going to stay in the promised land? And suffer the drought, suffer the famine, or are we going to go elsewhere and, and, and go elsewhere in search of food? And so he's having to decide, am I going to trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord's provision? Or, or, or you know, and, and if he doesn't come through, my family's going to starve? Or do we run? Do we go somewhere else? And, and try to, try to, do I try to provide for my family in this way? And so he has this decision, should I stay here or should I go? And, and so what's, uh, we're going to see Isaac process this in the midst of the chain. So go to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 6 is going to be our verses. As you're making your way there, let me, I want to continue to, to set the context just a little bit. And this will be the occasion for our first map, which I'm excited about. Um, so for the past month, remember, we have been studying uh, about uh, the beginning of the nation of Israel. And, and we've talked about how God has decided to bless the Israelites and, and, and bless the whole world through his chosen people, the Israelite nation. And we've said a couple ways of how this happens. One, that, that God's going to bless the whole world through the Israelites by the Israelites are to live in such a way to where all men will know that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. So God is revealing his character, his nature through his chosen people, uh, the Israelites. The whole world is going to be able to see and be introduced to God in and through them. And so that's one way that they can bless the world. Another way that the Israelites bless the world is by being the recipients of God's word. God gives his word to the Israelite nation. They receive it and they begin to live it out. They begin to, to put this into practice. But then ultimately, we will see the Israelites be, uh, bless the whole world by being the people through whom God sends his son, Christ Jesus, to be born through the nation of Israel. And so what you see in this is God's plan. You see, this, you see God's plan to, to, to tell all of his creation who he is what he's doing. You see God's plan to provide for their redemption in and through Jesus, and all this is happening through Israel. And so a critical part of that whole story, a critical part of that whole plan is God's promise to the forefather of the Israelite nation, is God's promise to Abraham. And that's what we've been looking at for the past month and a half. God made that covenant to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars. I'm going to give them a land, and I'll, and I'll bless them, and they will in turn bless the world. And so we've seen this throughout the past few weeks. Uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago, we saw kind of the first step in that fulfillment with uh, Isaac being born to Abraham's first son as a result of this promise. 
And then last week, if you were with us, we saw how God provided a wife for Isaac and, and Rebecca. And, and so last week, we, we left off with them. Uh, they've met, they've married, and now they've settled in a place called Ber Lahai Roy. And you see it on the map here, um, uh, Ber Lahai Roy. Or you can give the redneck pronunciation, Ber, Ber Lahai Roy. And so, uh, so you see that there on the map. Now, where it's situated, it's on the border between modern-day Egypt and Israel. And it's really kind of on the... It's right on the outskirts of the promised land. It's in the promised land, but it's kind of on the edge of the border that you see there. And then, um, I, I, I want to say it. We've got time. I want to make time for it. Uh, so, uh, so Berlahai Roy, you can see kind of there, it's, it's in, it looks like it's in the desert. I mean, it is, it is in the desert. And this is just a cool thing. It's something like 70% of the promised land uh, is, is actually desert. And, but, but there are parts of the, of the promised land that's incredibly fertile as well. That's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so it's, it's got both. It's got these, these places that are, you know, world-renowned for being so fertile and being able to grow anything and everything. But it, so much of it is also desert. And in that desert, numerous civilizations pop up or, or that are thriving, prosperous civilizations. And so you see God pro- giving the promised land to them, but God also... Um, blessing all of it, even these places that are desert, that are hard to live in. And so I, I, I know there's a sermon in there somewhere. I just think it's cool, so I just gave that to you. And so, uh, but you hear with uh, Ber Lahai Roy, this is, where, uh, this is where Isaac and his family are living. We see that in Genesis 25, uh, leading into our text, um, that they've, they're living here. We, in Genesis 25, we also see that Abraham has died, and that Isaac and Rebekah, uh, we see the story of the birth of their two twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, in your groups, you're going to get into their story a little bit. If you're in a community group, you're going to get into their story a little bit this week. I'm going to save all the, the discussion, all the study for those two guys till next Sunday. Um, and, and trust me, you want to come back and be here for that Sunday because um, uh, those two guys put the fun and dysfunctional family. And so, so we need a whole morning for those two guys. And so we're going to see that next week. Uh, for our purposes this morning, um, we, ju- we just need to know Abraham has died. So that makes Isaac the patriarch of the family. Isaac is the patriarch. He's heir to the promises that God has made, and they are living in Berlahai Roy. So he's there uh, when change happens. Genesis 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And so we see a, a new location. So we know that he's gone from Berlahai Roy to now a city called Gerar. And you can see it here uh, on the map here. And so it's a little bit closer to the coast. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit closer uh, to, um, uh, to having sea access, and that's important because he goes to meet the king of the Philistines, Ab- Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Now, that word might be familiar to you, Phil- uh, Philistines. Uh, David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. When Samson has all of his battles, he's, biting, uh, he's battling, bat- fighting, fighting, ah, ah, he's fighting all the Philistines. And so uh, it's, that's the people group that turn out to perennially be the enemy of the Israelites. Uh, at this point in the text, everyone's mostly getting along well. Um, there's, we'll see there's some seeds of conflict that, beget, that get planted here in 26 that, that are going to grow to really be the full-on conflict. Here, they're mostly kind of coexisting pretty well. Another thing about the Philistines is that they were primarily a sea people. The Israelites were a desert people. The Philistines, they made their living in and around the, the Mediterranean Sea. And so Gerar, uh, Gerar has a, a little bit more coastal access, being closer to it. Uh, why it's not immediately on the coast is because in between Gerar and the Med Sea, there was this thing called the Via Maris. It was, this was this trade route that went from north to south that connected Israel to Egypt. And so that runs in between Gerar and, and the Med Sea there. 
So that means Gerar is uniquely positioned as a city, as a town. It's got people that have access to the sea and then also this trade route. So in a time of a famine or a drought, you would go there because that city is well positioned to have supplies, to have resources, to have food, even in the midst of a famine, even in the midst of a drought. And so Isaac goes to Gerar. And what that does, it takes him a little bit deeper into the promised land. It takes him a little bit deeper into the promised land. Uh, but yet it also has him surrounded by more and more people uh, who are outside of his family, by more and more people who are outside the nation of Israel, uh, by more and more people that uh, perhaps could be opposed to him and to his family. So there's a growing potential for conflict. And so again, let's put flesh and blood on this. If you're, if you're Isaac, if you're in his place, like what, what, what questions do you have? What, what's your feeling about this? Because if, if I'm him, I'm thinking this is a change I didn't ask for. You know, we were fine in our city like this, and now we're having to move. This generates all sorts of questions because, you know, it's, it's the second time that, that, that there's been a drought. There's one with his dad that, that he would know and his dad experienced. And so, God, I thought this was supposed to be the land of milk and honey, and now this is the second drought. What gives? I thought this land was supposed to be blessed. Was your promise just for my dad? Or, and was your promise just for him? Or, or have you changed your plan? Have you changed your purposes? And if so, why? Did I do something wrong? Did, did I violate something along the way? Have I done something to like where you don't love me anymore? Like if I'm Isaac, I begin to, to ask those questions because all these are, are changes that I didn't anticipate, that I didn't expect to happen. What else is going to change? And so if I'm Isaac, if I'm in Gerard, it, it's decision time. It's decision time. He can hop on the VMRs, take a left, and be in Egypt, be around the Nile. You see how green and lush it is. Like he, he can go all the way over there and escape all, all the hardship from the desert, from the famine, and, and, or, or he stays and he remains in a land that's suffering a famine, that's suffering a drought, but has been promised to be blessed by God. He can stay in a land that's been promised to him and to his family. And so look at how, look, look at how the Lord responds to Isaac. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I'll be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I'll give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. God says, don't go down to Egypt. Don't leave, don't go down. I know this is a change. I know this is not the circumstance you, you were expected. I know this is, is not how you envision this part of your life, but I'm asking you, I'm calling you, I'm commanding you to stay. I mean, think of the comparison between Isaac's call and Abraham's call. His father Abraham did not live in this region. He did not live in this area. He lived, uh, he, he lived further east. And so he was having to, to leave his homeland and journey to the promised land. And so for Abraham, the call of his faith the command of his faith, the test of his faith, was whether or not he was going to trust God, follow God, and leave. For his son, it's different. For Isaac, the call of his faith, the testing of his faith, the command that God gives him, is he going to trust God, follow God, and stay? And so for God to, to lead Isaac to express this type of faith, God reminds Isaac of the covenant, of the promise that he gave, uh, that he gave to his father, that he, made, and that, that he made with Abraham. And so when we read that, did, did any of that sound familiar to what we've read the past few weeks? God gives the exact same promise to Isaac that he had given to Abraham. And he accentuates the three different parts. Uh, I, I'll, I'll bless the land, or I'll give you the land, I'll give you a family, and I'll bestow blessing 
uh, upon them all. He, he echoes this to them, giving the exact same promise. So God has not changed. He has not changed the promise. He has not changed the purpose. He has not changed his plan for the family of Abraham, which includes Isaac and his family. He's not walking back any of those promises. He's not changing his desire for what he wants to do in and through the nation of Israel. God is unchanging in his character, in his plan, and in his promises to Isaac. And as such, it gives him hope, strength, trust, faith to stay. To stay in Gerar. Isaac is going to stay there even while he's surrounded by such a changing, uh, changing world. He gives him the confidence to stay in Gerar, willing to suffer the famine, willing to trust and be confident that God is going to provide for him and for his family. Now, were we to keep reading in Genesis 26, we would see that happens. Isaac stays, and, and the Lord blesses his family, and his family prospers, and it grows so much so to where the Philistines actually begin to be threatened uh, by the size of, of Isaac's family, the size of his wealth. Really, they're threatened by how much power he has. And so um, they're, 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 uh, they start to ask him to, to really just to move and, so, and to go to different places. And so for a, a, a bit of 26, it seems like uh, Isaac is a little bit nomadic around Gerar. And so, but what happens is why he's kind of moving around the outskirts of Gerar. He digs wells in this desert and dry, arid region, and he also uncovers wells that his father Abraham had dug. And so with that, that's a tremendous amount of work and expense to dig those types of wells. But while Isaac does that, what's he doing? He's, he's blessing the entire region. And so even though he's, you know, still early in the nation, in the history of the nation of Israel, it, they're already living out this purpose to be a blessing to the world around them. And so we see uh, that happening as Isaac digs these, digs these wells. I just think that's cool. You might have thought that's just an aside, but I thought it was neat. And so uh, we, we see him dig these wells. Now, eventually he grows so big, grows so prosperous uh, that the Philistines basically try to kick him out. And he doesn't want to fight. And so Isaac does move. Uh, he leaves from Gerar, but he doesn't go down to Egypt. He, goes, he stays and remains in the promised land. He moves and settles in a place called Beersheba. And you can see this here on the map as well. It's just, uh, just to the west of the Dead Sea. And um, yeah, just the west of the Dead Sea there. Still in the promised land. Still living in the land that God has promised to him and to his family. And so he's showing trust and showing confidence in the unchanging character, promises, and plan of God. It gives Isaac the hope and the faith and the trust that he needs to stay and to embrace the work that God is doing in his life, to embrace the work that God is going to do in and through his family. It gives him the courage to stay. One of the core doctrines of the Christian faith that gives us hope upon hope upon hope is what is known as the immutability of God. The immutability of God. And that's a big word, man. It's hard, hard to understand what's happening. What, what it means is just a phrase that I've already said a dozen times, that God is unchanging. That is a core doctrine of the Christian faith that is good news. Now, you might hear that and think, I don't know if that sounds like good news to me, David, because, you know, it, it almost seems like God's detached. Like, like, you know, like God created this world. I've set it in, it's set it in motion. Now I'm going to stand back, hand, you know, hands off. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to change. Whatever happens. Or, or it might sound impassive. Um, that, that like, you know, God doesn't care what happens. Does he not have an emotional connection to his creation? But no, okay, no, in scripture, we see that God is very much integrally, integrally involved uh, in, in, in the world and what's happening. We talked about God's providence last week. And, and then we've also seen how God is, is grieved sometimes over humanity and how also God is, 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 joy, is, is uh, pleased sometimes. So we see change in his emotion, but what the immutability of God speaks to, what the unchanging aspect of God refers to is his being. 
It is his core. It is his character. It is the plans that he has, and it is the promises that he makes to accomplish those plans. That is what is good news, and it is definitively good news for you and for me. Because that means that we can always, we can always, we can always bank on the character of God. He is good, and he will always be good. He is loving, and he will always be loving. He's kind, and he will always be kind. He's holy, and he will always be holy. He's righteous, and he will always be righteous. He is wise, and he will always be full of wisdom. It's, it's this character that we can bank on. And so what that means for you and me is that means like tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday when we, we, we wake up, we don't have to worry about God being some sort of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like which one am I going to get today? Like we don't have to have that fear. We don't have to carry that, that concern. We don't have to wonder, am I going to you know, catch him on a good day or an off day where he's, he's going to change his, his character. He's going to change his, the way that he relates to us. We don't have to worry about that. It also means that there's nothing that you can do. Okay, hear me there's nothing that you can do, nothing that humanity as a whole can do that can change these aspects of God, that will bring about any change in his character or his plan or the promises that he makes. And so as such, as God's character is unchanging, when he makes a plan, it is full of, 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 of wisdom, of grace, of love, of kindness, of mercy, because that's his character, right? So his plans are going to be full of those. And as such, God's going to carry that plan, that good and perfect plan, all the way to completion. Psalm thirty-three, eleven says this, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. He is unchanging in his purposes and his plans. So that is, we've, we've already seen it, right? He stays committed to his plan of the nation of Israel through Abraham and Isaac. He tells us, hey, this is going to happen. He stays committed to his plan of sending his son through the nation of, of Israel. He stays committed to his plan of providing a way of salvation to his sinful fallen sons and daughters, to redeem his family, to expand his kingdom through, through his son, through the work of Christ on the cross. He stays committed to his plan of making a way for you and for me to know him and to make him known. And that's a plan that started in eternity past, is enacted now and will be carried out throughout the eternity future. He stays committed to his plan of making a way for you and for me to know him and to make him known. And as he stays committed to his plan, he stays committed to his promises that make a way for his plans to be enacted. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Okay, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. God speaks and he acts. He promises and he fulfills it. He keeps his word and he keeps his promises, including his promises of forgiveness and salvation that makes a way for us to know him and make him known, right? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Right? That's a promise that's based on him. That's a promise that's based on his character, on his desire to forgive, on his desire to purify us from unrighteousness. So when we by faith respond to him, God says, it's a promise you can bank on. This is what I want to do in and through your life. Romans 10, 9 through 11 gives even more detail with this unchanging plan and promise of God. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That is an unchanging promise of God that is for 
you. It is an unchanging promise of God that, that, that we can bank on, right? It's, it's one that, that's not just for the other, all right? It's not just for your neighbor. It's not just for the coworker. It's not just for your parents. It's not just for a spouse. It's not just for a sibling. It's not just for a friend that in your mind you look at and you think they've got it all together. No, this is a promise that is for you. It is an unchanging promise that it is an expression of God's unchanging character, that is an expression of his unchanging plan to provide a way of forgiveness and salvation for you. And it is a promise that you can bank on. It's a promise that you can bank on no matter what's happened in your life, no matter what is happening, no matter what is going to happen in your life. It is a promise that you can bank on. It's one that you can trust in, right? I mean, hear me on this. It's one that you can trust in when you walk through the spiritual famine, right? When, when, when you walk through the drought of your soul, when you're finally realizing the ramifications of your sin. When you, when, you, when you see what those acts have done in your relationship with the Lord, when you see how much you've broken the peace in your relationships with your parents or your spouse or your kids, and you see just the, the, the damage that that has happened, and then you come back and it's like, God, how could, how could can you love me? Can, are your promises for me? Or, or have I done too much? Have I gone too far? When you hit that drought of the soul, when you hit that spiritual famine, you come back, bank on this promise that God has promised to restore, to redeem, to forgive. When we place our faith in him, it is a constant in the midst of a changing world. It's one that we can hold on to. Three weeks ago, we, we talked about how um, in times of confusion, uh, we are to trust in God's character. We are to trust in the character of God. And I think the bottom line of this sermon really builds off that one. Because in times of change and in times of confusion, we can trust in God's character because it is unchanging, right? It's, it, it is unchanging. And, and so it's, and that's what gives us hope and faith throughout the trial, throughout the time of confusion, and throughout a season of change. We can trust in Him as the one thing in our life that won't change. We can trust in Him as the one thing that won't change when everybody and everything else will. And that's what gives a sense of hope a sense of confidence, a sense of security, and even a sense of rest. There's a, uh, a theologian named Herman Bavink who, uh, who just in two or three sentences describes how that hope comes from the immutability of God. And he writes this, the contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator and the creature. Every creature is continually becoming. Think about that sentence. Every creature is continually becoming. When I think about that sentence, I have, like, there's two emotional reactions that I have to that. One, it's hope-filled. Um, God's not done with me, right? Like, there, there's a part of our faith, there's progression. There's a, a, a term, a, a theological term is sanctification, that we are being refined in the image of Christ. We're continually becoming more and more like Him as we yield to His Word, confess our sin, right? The Holy Spirit's working in our lives. So, like, every creature is continually becoming. I love that. Uh, there, there's so much hope there. But then also, kind of the, the other side to that is it can also sound weary. Like, always continually becoming, always striving, always work to be done. And so there can be a, a weariness of the soul as well when I, when I hear that sentence. Um, but, but this is where the immutability of God gives us hope. Because every creature is continually becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving, seeks rest and satisfaction. And here's the hope. And finds this rest in God, in Him alone, for only He is pure being and no becoming. Hence, in Scripture, God is often called the rock. The rock is immutable. 
the rock is unchanging. And as a result, we have hope. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So my one hope, my one prayer for you and for me this morning is that regardless of whatever situations you might be walking through, whether it's uh, blessing and renewal and hope and, and joy or times of drought and famine, that we can find rest, that we can find satisfaction, confidence, joy, trust in God who is unchanging, that we can find rest and joy and hope in God who is unchanging in his love for you. And I want to say that again because I believe there's someone in here who needs to hear that, that God is unchanging in his love for you. He is unchanging in his plan for you, that you would know him, that you would know him, that you would know the joy of who he is, the hope of his word. God is unchanging in his plan that you would know him, that you would make him known, and that God is unchanging in his character. That that's what gives us hope, right? And there's tumultuous seasons of life where it's stop the world, I want to get off, or we would just want to run and, 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 and hide and find whatever version of rescue or hope we can look for. That it's in those moments where you want to run or hide or whatever that God is calling us to stay. He's calling us to stay grounded in his strength, to stay anchored to his promises, to stay faithful and vigilant for his fulfillment of his plan and of his promises. I pray this morning that you are encouraged, that you find hope and joy in the immutability of God. That God, who is unchanging in his character, his plan, and his promises, gives us hope, strength, courage, joy, rest, even in the midst of seasons of change.